Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Friday mornings for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. Good to be with you. Appreciate that. Big week, obviously, with the presidential visit to Israel. There are a lot of specifics to talk about, but let me start with a general question. What did you think overall of the President Biden journey to the state of Israel? I think it was, uh, it, it produced some interesting uh, developments. I think it demonstrated a warmness and a friendship um, that a lot of Israelis, I think, greeted the trip generally with skepticism, but were impressed from the people I spoke to by the genuineness of his uh, of Biden's long-term uh, relationship with Israel. I've known him since the late 1970s, and as this was his 10th visit to Israel. And there were times of tension. I'm just not going to say that it was a flawless record, and there weren't periods of, of tension, uh, some of which have been uh, highlighted in the past. But I think his his uh, comments, if you saw the note he wrote when he was at Yad Vashem and, and uh, some of the statements that he made, and I know the two women, uh, uh, the Holocaust survivors that he met with, one I, I actually met the day before, spoke to the day before when she called me about her concerns on the visit, and, and the staff had scheduled him just to do a walk-by of them, and it was he who got down on one knee and started talking to them for, what, 20 minutes, and... Um, and I spoke to them afterwards, and they were really taken with what he said and, and his commitments and the things that he talked about. And they laid on him about anti-Semitism and about uh, the need for Israel, to him to support Israel. And when a 95- and a 92-year-old woman say it, you listen. And one, uh, Mrs. Quint, was the wife of Manny Quint, who many people I know in our community knew. They came from New York. And uh, the other uh, lady, whom I actually only spoke to the first time, the two days before or day before, and may, both have amazing stories that I hope will be written up in, in detail on how uh, this one came to New York and went uh, right into Brooklyn College and did a PhD without any high school education, without any prior education, actually. Wow. And they're really amazing, amazing stories. So the, the agreements that came out, the one on, on Iran is better than I think some expected. It's not, they didn't have an agreement. You saw the prime minister, I thought, you know, made a pretty bold statement about challenging the president in public at the press conference about the need not to talk about diplomacy in words, but to, but there has to be a credible threat of force. The uh, I2U2 meeting, which got almost no coverage, but is really remarkable. You know, the IU, I2 is Israel and India, and the U's are the United States and the UAE. But they, they, this, number one, expands the relationship to Abraham Accord, something we've been working on, into, the, into Southeast Asia. And it will bring the Quad, which includes Korea, Australia, um, uh, and, and India, and Japan into a relationship with them. But there were specific agreements here with the UAE putting $2 billion into these food integrated food parks. Um, but the significance, it won't be lost when the country with probably the largest population in the world by in the next year or two uh, joins Israel, U.S. and UAE in this uh, in a virtual meeting. And they covered a lot of area, including uh, dealing with Iran, which India still trades with. Um, but there were other uh, um, coming together with the other groupings. And now the GCC3 
the plus three meeting, uh, countries like Morocco and others joining Egypt, Jordan. Uh, I think that these reflect the impact of the Abraham Accord and the president's public uh, association with Abraham Accords by name and with support for it and with uh, manifesting it is, uh, I think, considered important. And, you know, Putin is coming to Tehran next week. And we're going to see the efforts of the counter forces and uh, read the Tehran press. You see how far um, the uh, what the impact of the visit has been and how they're reacting to uh, so much of what uh, of what has happened. Um, we even saw a Russian train coming with cargo um, that was going to India and was stopped in, at the border with Iran, and they have now passed through, which means that you see how Iran is becoming the vehicle for Russia to bypass sanctions. So they see this united front, and uh, I know this is a, a long answer to, to a short question, but it's important to see the totality of the picture of how many things uh, have happened. You see there were articles in the Saudi magazines, uh, the major ones, praising um, Arab Israelis who serve in the IDF. Well, this was unheard of. Uh, other statements, other visits, other things that are taking place that we shouldn't take for granted. And most of all now, the overflight rights, which for Israeli businessmen and others is very significant. The uh, the trip started with a, a written agreement, a written understanding, a written treaty. I don't know what word you want to use uh, between the United States and Israel. What were the actual contents of, uh, of what they signed at the beginning of the whole uh, uh, visit? Well, there is a security agreement. It's not a treaty, and it does, it's not approved by Congress, but it is an understanding that they've worked on, which does have important elements in there about um, expanding security cooperation, which is pretty expansive right now. And as you know, there have been all these joint exercises. I think it's an attempt to expand the significance of CENTCOM. I think that's going to be true at the Saudi meeting, at the meetings in Saudi Arabia with the GCC and others. Um and it uh, includes a reaffirmation of the $30 billion aid package, uh, the 10-year program, and other areas of, of joint cooperation. So it's not necessarily that uh, much new ground it breaks, but it, it confirms and commits the administration to those uh, understandings, many of which were done by the previous administration. Um, and I think that... Um, uh, the Israelis and others were the, the Israelis were certainly seemed to be pleased by it and touted it when when they signed it. When does the Saudi visit take place? Today it happens today. And uh, is this permanent? The opening of the airspace to Israel now? That, that, I mean, was it done just for this visit, or this is now going to be hopefully forever? No, for, this is permanent. Wow, that's pretty amazing. By the way, one of the things that that didn't get much coverage, I think, it was probably the most significant thing. It was his interview with uh, an Israeli station where, I think Channel 12, uh, where he was asked about the the squad and the other Democrats, the, quote, progressives, which is a wrong term for it. Um, <laughs> and he essentially rejected those who called Israel an apartheid state, and he said there are few of them. They are, are wrong. They're making a mistake. This is his words. Israel is a democracy. Israel is our ally. Israel is our friend. I think that I make no apologies for that. It, it was, um, uh, and even said that using force, if it was a last resort, that he would do it against Iran. But that, that uh, um, you know, statement 
about uh, that they don't represent where the Democrats stand and they don't represent where America stands uh, was a very interesting comment because, again, it was done in an interview. It's not where, you know, he had notes and people were telling him what to say. Uh, do you think that he would say something different uh, regarding that topic if he was asked that question in the United States? And I say it cynically like that because yeah, with the midterm elections coming up, and we know how important it seems, how important that part of the Democratic Party is going to be uh, you know, going forward between now and November. Uh, do you think he would have said it differently if he wasn't 6,000 miles from home? Well, actually, I think he did that interview here in advance of the visit. Ah. Uh, second, um, I think it's more of a reflection of, of his view. It's, it's certainly, uh, we see that the progress quote progressives, I, I hate that term because right. it, it has a positive connotation and these are certainly retrogressives, um, uh, you know, uh, have an increasing influence in the democratic party. It's interesting that we haven't seen much reaction from them to those comments. They didn't challenge him and, um, I, I well, they have. I don't, they want, to, have, they, I don't want to overemphasize the significance of any of these things because what what really matters is what is done. Right, but they have actual, made they have made it clear they'll abandon him in a second. I mean, they they've they've oh, said course, that directly. Of course, uh, all along. I mean, they have no loyalty to anything but themselves, and they they're certainly not interested in America or America's allies or democracy or freedom because they they are willing to associate with anti democratic forces. Uh, but I think that the uh, we're, we're talking about the atmospherics here. We're talking right. about some steps. I mean, the president kept talking about the two-state solution, and I think the granting of money now to the PA without uh, enforcement of Taylor Force uh, on these monies, they go under the Nidaloi Act, which is for joint projects. So it's not grants to the government per se, as I understand it, but for specific uh, projects, and some of it is joint Israeli-Palestinian projects. Um, but there are many people rightly point up that, uh, you know, the Taylor Force Act is being violated by the PA every day, that they continue to support, encourage, incite, but most of all pay off terrorists who kill Israelis or to carry out the attacks or their survivors. And um, the United States has reiterated its commitment to this policy all the time, and yet the the – uh, visible, visible implication of uh, you know of granting the new money, even if it's to a hospital where got money before, but President Trump cut it off. Uh, I think is um, you know another issue that that has raised some of the concerns today. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen all the reports yet on the internal discussions. We'll, I'm sure we'll find out much more in the next hours. Uh, the visual, the um, uh, the ceremonial um, uh, episode where the president. Uh, is shown the latest defense systems in Israel, the uh, the latest version of Iron Dome. What do they call it now? It's Iron Dome has graduated to Iron... No, no, Iron Dome and Iron Beam. And Iron Beam, right. Um, so, I mean... That's not a, it's not related to Iron Dome. It's, it is a laser system of defense against missiles. It's, it's completely independent. It's, it, uh, the laser uh, Iron Beam is a, a mechanism to harness uh, energy, you know, to, to be able to shoot beams at the missiles, because as it is, and we've talked about this, it costs $100,000 to take down uh, missiles that come in, because you usually right. have to fire two, two Iron Dome, and you're taking down a $1,000 you know, pipe bomb, uh, essentially an elevated pipe bomb, and this means that you would 
use just pulses of electricity. So it would cost a hundred dollars to take down a thousand dollar missile. So this system, but this system, uh, honestly, Nahum, is not really in effect. It's right. it's proposed, and uh, I think that the ex- I think it's a mistake to raise the expectation as they are that this is already operational. But when he's going to view the latest that Israel has to offer in this area, I'm assuming that that's uh, with Iran in mind and with the enemy in general in mind. I mean, those who incite and uh, and decide to start shooting uh, rockets from places like Gaza, etc. Uh, just to remind everybody that Israel has the latest technology and to remind everybody that America has Israel's back when it comes to this technology. Well, it was a reaffirmation, I think. Again, it's the symbolism. It's the message to right. Iran. And if you read the Iranian reactions... You see how strongly they take it. I mean, they they are falling over each other to attack and criticize and attack Biden and uh, and the U.S. and and saying that you know we're not going to yield on anything to get to the table that the United States is not willing to get to the table. Um, the you know president again reaffirmed his commitment to the process of negotiations with Iran despite all that they're doing, and we see that their provocations with China with others, you know, where they're expanding the relationships. And by the way, built into the strategic agreement is also about countering, uh, dealing with China and China's uh, activities. It it did seem, though, that the president was more, and maybe this was just a silent affirmation, uh, but I thought he had actually made a statement about it as well, in addition to what the prime minister said. It it seemed that he was uh, uh, more willing to admit that the the military option was necessary, that it was on the table, that the U.S. would endorse it. It just, it it, it gave me the feeling, watching the two of them speak about Iran, that uh, if a last resort, in fact, uh, was necessary, the U.S. would be there back Israel so uh, I think that was uh, interpreted uh, uh, from the remarks but I thought his in his interview he was very explicit and said yes he would use force as a last resort which as you know many in his party would reject and, right. and have warned against um, I, I, I don't think it was a commitment of any particular kind and hopefully we will never come to that point but that the United States will work with Israel and the other allies who they will hear from in Saudi Arabia, for whom Iran is as great a threat as it is to Israel, even if they don't all, aren't always as explicit, but all of them certainly consider it uh, as such. What I thought was important was the reaffirmation at, at that meeting, at the visit to the two uh, to the Iron Dome and Iron Beam. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they were, by the way, at the airport. They moved him there so that he didn't have to travel around more to, <laughs> to get there. But um, did they bring Masa- they, did they bring Masada to the airport also? So he- mobile, right? <laughs> <laughs> but actually, just the Dead Sea. But uh, uh, but but you know, it's a reaffirmation because U.S. and Israel. We have to remember, it's American money, American support that made Iron Dome possible, mm-hmm. and it's the joint missile program and the amount of money that America is giving Israel, which. Again, we sometimes get lost in in um, some of the debate and the nature of the debate. You know, this is not to to, to declare that the problems are behind us or the issues that that uh, you know are raised. We'll see what happens. But I, I think what you saw was the president on his own in and his um, talk of declaring himself, "I'm a Zionist." You know, to be a Jew, to be a Zionist, which yeah. he had said before. You know, it's not so much how we react. Think of how the Arabs hear that. Yep. 
I can only imagine what they were thinking. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at AlchemSingle.com and the Single Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman, conference of presidents of major American Jewish organizations. With that in mind, by the way, uh, the man who declared I am a Zionist went to meet with Mahmoud Abbas. What do we know about that encounter? As I, said, I haven't seen the reports yet uh, on it. Uh, but uh, uh, I told you about the money, the monies that were right. allocated, and Abbas had a list of demands that uh, the United States will not meet. Um, but I think he, you know, obviously he had to do something, and he, he met him in, in, uh, in conditions that were better. I think some were, were afraid of, but his, he, he visit, visiting the hospital without an Israeli in East Jerusalem was very disturbing to people and to some the public comments and stuff about it that it it, it um, you know it, it's a statement and and that's the point that in in the Middle East everything has symbolic in addition to to whatever the actual are it's how people interpret it it's it's the messages that are sent and the fact that they keep reaffirming the desire to have a consulate in Jerusalem they did not move on it and there wasn't the pressure to, but there were statements saying, you know, we are still committed to that. But so I don't think you had much movement on some of the fundamental issues. I think that, again, the trip, as I said last Friday, look for the symbolisms. That's going to be the most important thing that comes out of it. Obviously, we have a November election. I don't know that, uh, you know, that that's uh, that Israel and the Jewish community vote is going to loom so large in it that, that that's the reason and to be cynical and not to welcome the comments that were made. We should always have a car set told. We should recognize the good just as we criticize the things we disagree with. Uh, well, the I am a Zionist quote is really, is really amazing. And uh, I can only imagine how many feathers that ruffled throughout the uh, Middle East. Um, and, and also his note, yeah, right. again, this, the stuff that he did himself, right. you know, that it wasn't somebody standing over his shoulder writing and telling him, write this. I think is is uh, what I look for is where he's really at, and the question is can can he translate all of that into the policy and the messages that are sent? Certainly to the Iranians, yeah. the message was a strong one. I wonder who uh, I mean there there are many who I'm sure felt and and now will feel that this visit will bolster him and you know for the midterms in the United States. I mean I, I would imagine that that's part of it. You just alluded to it a minute ago, not to be too cynical because you're right, we have to keep in mind the positive things that happened and recognize uh, that those symbolic things that happened are are extremely positive and, and in many ways unprecedented if you look at Jewish history. Um, but I wonder if it's a throwback. I wonder if it's a you know an old strategy that really is not twenty twenty two to think that a visit to Israel or a commitment to the future of the Jewish people and the future of the state of Israel could really help that much over here. Do you get one feeling one way or the other? No, again, I, I mean, is politics part of If it's always there. And right. It's, it's, and he is an old-time politician. Right. You know, but is it a strategy, from, is it a strategy from decades ago that just may not work now, or, or it still works? No, I don't think it, it's, uh, it's something that is relevant. I, I, I mentioned it before right. that I think that, you know, it's too cynical just to say that this is, um, a, a, a ploy for November. The Jewish vote isn't that significant, and certainly not in, in congressional races. Most of congressional races that matter, the, um, Jewish. You know, there are more. There is more involvement of PACs and support, and I'm sure that 
you know, that is a factor. And he saw his numbers uh, were going down in, in the community. But I think in his case, it's, it's a genuine feeling. It's been expressed many times, even right. though, again, nothing's, nobody has a flawless record. And this is, and I don't want it to sound like this changes the fundamentals in, in, uh, in any way. I think it, it sends strong messages. And I'm, I'm more concerned about the messages in the Middle East. I don't think that it, it's going to change the demographics of the election, uh, the congressional elections, the off-year elections, where we see, by the way, the, the Republican-Democrat spread is, is shrinking, that those who thought there would be an automatic sweep in the Republic by Republicans, it's, it's uh, less so, but still yeah. the likelihood that Republicans can take uh, Congress. It'll depend on the turnout. Yeah, and as you see, there's not much interest in, in a lot of the races. And it's only July. God knows where the economy is going. Exactly. We know that's the most important factor. And that will be the that. Will, that's why I'm saying Middle yeah. East is not going to be the factor when you have inflation. I get it, but it just it's it just it, it's a these trips and it could be anywhere. These trips are such an amazing way to distract people from what's happening at home or to excuse the president for not concentrating on what's happening at home. And you could, I mean, you know, you see everybody sees how people are uh, uh, up in arms about what's happening here economically and with other issues issues as well crime border etc etc uh but this i don't know this takes uh, some of the attention away and also it, i don't remember i don't remember his visit to israel's vice president i'm assuming he did go when he was vice president right i have to assume so but, yeah, he but, went, uh, but as a representative of that administration he could not have done what he did this time right i mean the, no and it didn't have the significance when you're the vice president right. not making policy but president obama visited twice Israel and sometimes made some pretty tough comments, if right. you remember, yeah, and, of course. and and didn't make it a priority. And then when he went to the Middle East, he went to Egypt first. He right. The other places to hear the president made a point of visiting Israel first before going to Saudi Arabia and the other countries. By the way, I got to meet the person who came up with this I2U2. What an amazing uh, acronym. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I tried to search where it I, came from. I agree. Like everyone's talking about what it means. I get what it means, but I want to know who created it and how, like how they thought of it. Right. And, this, and it's too long to say it. <laughs> right. The United States, Israel, and so I2U2 is very clever. I and uh, it, sometimes it's hard for us to understand. And the Ukrainian-Russia thing, uh, conflict, war, you know, shed some light on this, that you could be a trading partner and you could be a, a customer of another country and still be at war with them or support their enemy, right? We've seen that with the way European countries have supported the Ukraine, and, and some of them are, are, are serious trade partners or, or customers of Russia. So when you say that India is a partner of Iran, yet enters into this negotiation or these discussions with the U.S. and Israel in this type of forum. First of all, how does that play in Iran, and does it affect the economic relationship between those two countries? It absolutely affects every aspect of their relationship. Uh, as I told you, Putin going Russia training, the, the reports that Iran was selling a 1,000 drones, which they backed off of and still said that they don't support the war per se. They don't criticize the war. But they're doing a tremendous amount of trade with, uh, and Russia is using them, as I said, to bypass uh, uh, the sanctions. And the the and the what really set them off was the reports of the of the integrated air defense system, which we hope we'll hear much more about after today's meetings. But that would incorporate Israel, but most of the countries in West Asia, the the Gulf countries, and India's inclusion now bridges the um, it, it beyond just the Gulf. So you're talking about 
uh, and it's something we have worked on for a long time and trying to to achieve is is and this establishment of a defense system against Iran and the Persian Gulf is uh, uh, really remarkable. And they're, they're, the Iranians attack it as as expanding NATO in the Middle East, meaning to pick up on the Russia's uh, opposition to NATO. Uh, but the, the picking up on what King Abdullah said when he made the reference, and then he retracted it. But the fact is the record was there and that the Iranians really fear this. And this is a, a, a unifying of the forces. You know, they reached out to Saudi Arabia. They reached out to the UAE. They boasted of their regional diplomacy. And here you see all of that reversed. And the, air def- the joint air defense coming on the joint naval defense system, in which Israel participated, and the constant a- a expansion of the number of countries that are, um, are joining. I mean, they talk about an Arab NATO and uh, you know, other uh, references uh, and and the, nat- and the natural way in which Israel uh, is part of it, there was even talk of Israel uh, getting uh, coming to the meeting. I didn't think that that was uh, was likely. I think some of the countries are not ready for it. The fact that Iraq is there uh, is a little disturbing because Iraq passed a law that you know imposes a death penalty on those who uh, who do business with the or have any contact with uh, with israel and i hope the president and we've tried to encourage that the president will raise this with him and tell him it's unacceptable um but you know all, all these little and, and and sometimes bigger gestures that we take as symbolism symbolism in the middle east is really vital and and people make policy based on it based on perception perception there is even more important than here and here too perception creates the reality on which people respond in the Middle East, it takes on even greater significance. Speaking of which, um, when the Abraham Accords uh, were in, was it were in its infancy, um, de- especially Democrats, but but other pundits as well, um, uh, were saying that uh, one must make or Israel must make peace with the Palestinians before there's any possibility of um uh, of, of making peace agreements treaties or um financial arrangements etc with countries you know with neighboring countries in the middle east and obviously now we see that was not the case because the abraham accords exist and the uae is uh, is, is uh, a real partner uh with israel at this point um with with that in mind the 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 fact that the two of them brought up this two state solution uh yet again during this visit um, is this also not a throwback? Is this also not a failed strategy or a failed necessity that world leaders, including the U.S. and Israeli leaders, are reluctant to recognize? We're past this point. We're past the point that you know the key to the future of the Middle East is, is Israeli-Palestinian peace. We see that from the Abraham Accords and now everything else that's going on, I2U2 and everything else. Is it... Is, is it, is it, it is it time for them to just give up on this dream that this you that the Israeli-Palestinian peace is so vital to the future of the Middle East? I didn't hear the last word. That it's so vital to the future of the Middle East. Is it time for them to just so, give up so on this? The first thing is that you are right. Everybody said that peace with Palestinians has to precede anything else. You saw peace with Egypt and Jordan. And each time everybody would condition and, you know, always build in the the, 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 the verbal uh, references. The fact is that the Arab countries, and I've heard this from the Arab leaders myself in the Gulf and elsewhere, 
They're sick and tired of the, of the kleptocracy. They're sick and tired of pouring billions of dollars. They're sick and tired of their future being held hostage. The Palestinians who are not willing to move forward and look at the look at the stats in the, in the uh, in the Palestinian Authority itself. The Palestinians are sick and tired of the of the government who's in the eighth year or four year term that they that the, the economic conditions are disastrous because not because they don't get more aid than any other people per capita in the world, um, but because it's all wasted. And you see no, virtually no economic development, no real change, water policy, et cetera. So these grants, by the way, and the money that is going is going for specific projects, not to the PA, which is a way of, of covering, uh, I think, what they think will be the criticism of, uh, right. of, of the violation of, of it. But, but don't dismiss it. It's still a big factor in, in the Arab world, in the, in the countries that um, uh, they want this issue resolved. That's what Arab leaders, they, it's like an obstacle, it's a stumbling block. And that until this is out of the way, they can't do all the things they want to do. But the fact that the Saudis now will break, uh, open the skies and do other things, uh, and that they're gradually increasing the number of visitors and all the things that, that we've done, uh, that have been done, um, and, the, and the military cooperation, intelligence cooperation. I mean, many of them remember that the Palestinians were on the wrong side of, of the, the conflicts in Yemen and elsewhere. So it's, you can't dismiss the issue. You can't say it's not relevant and that it, and that we have to, uh, I, I think the Israeli approach was to say, let's do economic development, let's help the hospitals and medical infrastructure will do the things and meet the needs of the people. But you can't do that as long as the system, you know, when, when you have, an, uh, first of all, two, two Palestinian entities in Gaza and and uh, in the West Bank, and they're fighting each other constantly. And now an election would probably elect Hamas leaders in the West Bank because they're sick and tired of, of this uh, government. And young people are alienated and leaving. So the, y- y- you can't just say it's no longer relevant. The problem is that we become a mantra of just saying two states, which nobody defines. It can't, you know, they're too. It's too easy to dismiss, and this is too complicated and too sensitive to engage in in verbiage that's not carefully thought through. Yeah, I get that. Do you think that this encounter in Saudi Arabia is going to be as awkward as uh, all the journalists are saying it will be? So you know, it's sort of like like reading Gemara, Abdul, that the you know about why he didn't shake hands with all the people in Israel because he didn't want to have to shake hands when he got to Saudi Arabia. Um, I, I I don't think it doesn't make sense to me, but I mean everything's possible. And the uh, they, yeah, go ahead, yeah, sir. But, yeah, but I think I think that uh, how he finesses this after his earlier comments and his his continuing the comments about the Kajojgi affair and human rights, etc. Um, I'm sure it'll open them up again to criticism within the extremist party elements of the Democratic Party. But Saudi Arabia is still vital. And, and when we have an energy crisis, we have other things. And whether he asks for the oil or doesn't ask for the oil, obviously increased production by Saudi Arabia is very vital. I saw that the Iranians, by the way, are increasing by 21,000 barrels a day their production of oil, and which means that the IRGC and the Supreme Leader and the, those who benefit what by the income, not the people, uh, will have that much more money coming in. Who does that get sold to? Mostly China. Wow. 
Yeah, we haven't three mentioned quarters to China. We haven't mentioned China in this whole conversation yet. Well, uh, I did mention China before, but <laughs> you weren't listening. That, that was the one word I missed. <laughs> but China, you know what? It's really an important point how little China was publicly acknowledged. But I'm in the discussions. As you know, the Haifa port was sold. It was originally the Chinese wanted to do it, and right. it's uh, and the fear of China and China's expansive role with this Belt and uh, Road uh, Initiative, which is really a way of expanding their influence, their their role in in uh, Iran and uh, the economic relationships. And as you know, they buy energy anywhere and everywhere, including having relations with the Saudis and all. But if you look in South America now. We see the expanding role there as we lose that whole continent. And I'll repeat it every week until people really take it seriously. Every week we have more deterioration of of the situation there. With and and this week there's going to be a meeting between Putin, Erdogan, and Raisi in Tehran. Uh, so they're trying to co-opt it, uh, Turkey, which plays all sides right now because their economic conditions are terrible. The political situation is is weak. And they are expanding that cooperation as well. There are so many moving parts right now. It's it's impossible really to cover it, not in an hour, not in two hours, to get people just to see the different elements and the interrelationship. So now you see how South Asia relates to the Gulf, relates to the the Mediterranean initiative, and and become more and more interdependent. And you see what's happening in South America relates to Russia, to, to Turkey, to Iran and a direct threat to the United States. Anybody who thought that this uh, visit by President uh, Biden would not help the current Prime Minister of Israel, even if he is an interim or caretaker uh, Prime Minister, uh, was wrong, in my opinion. I agree. If anything, this uh, certainly helped his political profile. Uh, I think it gave people an opportunity to hear him. You know, the international community really hasn't heard much of him um, at any point. And his stand on Iran was good. Right. I mean, obviously he has other positions, but I thought that, that Biden's warm embrace of Netanyahu was also significant so that the people can't say that if uh, Netanyahu comes back, he won't have a good access to, to to President Biden. And that the fact they had the private meeting at the president's house, uh, I think it really also promoted President Herzog, who put himself right. front and center and everything and everywhere. Yeah. Um, and, um, I think it's an exaggerated, I mean, a, a larger than previous president's roles and and he's you know very uh, uh reaching out and very uh, active uh, presidency and creates a good presence um but i thought that the netanyahu biden meeting and uh, biden's comments and saying i love you you know despite everything when he met and the only one he shook hands with right. actually at the uh yeah. He's, 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 he's forgetful. He for, he forgot the procedure that he wasn't supposed to shake hands. Well, he with. didn't trip. He didn't fall. He didn't do anything. All the things people were were looking for. Yeah, thank um, God. For that. Yeah, thank God. And 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 again, I think people should look at where he wrote, what he wrote when he, you know, when he um, when he was Visit on Yad his own, right. and and especially well, Yad Vashem and at the welcome book. But right. you know, he, when he at Yad Vashem, he said he said it's great to be back to my emotional home right. and uh, talked about never forgetting and what he teaches his children, grandchildren about it, uh, which is something he told me years ago about remembering and what he talks to his kids about now. Yeah. He took them to a concentration camp to visit, I think to Dachau when he was on a tour with them. 
People again, are very. We're going to face the reality. So yeah, I was just going to. It comes back to normal. Right. People are very good at focusing on the past. And and no, but also we're going to. You know, this is very good and and again symbolically significant, maybe substantively significant in what comes out of the meeting. The change with Saudi Arabia, the breakthroughs. It's as you know, I've said all along. It should be step by step with them, and all of these things will will lead eventually to uh, diplomatic relations. I don't think when this king, while well, this king is alive, but I think this happening under the king's watch that they have the overflight rights, and they didn't do it specifically for Israel. They said for any country that meets their requirements. Right. But uh, you know, cutting three hours, four hours off the trip means that Israel becomes more competitive. Uh, Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak again next week. Be well. Shabbos to everyone. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update here at JM in the AM.